morning. God is good, and all the time. I am John, and I'm blessed to be the pastor here. I'm going to invite you to find your way to Luke, okay, Luke chapter number one. And today, uh, whether you're joining us online or in person, I just want to say welcome, and uh, glad that you chose to be with us today. And uh, we are in our second week of the series entitled Prepare Him Room. Of course, that line comes from the uh, familiar song, Joy to the World. And last week we talked about preparing room in our schedule and that life, especially it seems like at Christmas time, gets really, really busy. And so I kind of want to just give you a recap of last week. We were in Luke chapter 10 last week. It wasn't really a traditional you know, Christmas passage. Uh, but in Luke chapter 10, we, we kind of noticed three things. The first was that as followers of Jesus, we are ambassadors that are supposed to uh, represent Christ to the world. Then we saw through the story of the Good Samaritan that we are neighbors and that we are to reflect the mercy of God to the world. Then the last part of that passage in Luke chapter number 10, I think it's in verse 38 where it starts the story of Mary and Martha. And we realize that as followers of Jesus, that we are to be worshipers who just rest at the feet of Jesus. And so when we think about our roles, that we are ambassadors, we are neighbors, we are worshipers, the truth is we're going to be better neighbors, we're going to be better ambassadors if we become better worshipers. If we pause and take time to worship at the feet of Jesus. Uh, We kind of, at least for me, after the week ended last Sunday, I kind of just continued to reflect on the message And the word that continually just kind of came into my mind, I don't know if it did yours, but was the word distracted. Martha was distracted by much serving, and because she was distracted, it led her to be troubled and to be worried. And it just really struck me that here she's in the presence of the Prince of Peace. He's in her living room, and she's distracted, troubled, and worried. And so for us to just learn from the lesson of Martha that we would be like Mary, that we would just we would just pause and worship at the feet of Jesus. Now I'll confess to you, I get distracted very easily. How many of you also get distracted very easily? And we live in a world filled with distractions. Uh, but this this morning, as we talk about prepare him room, uh, last week our schedule, this week I want us to focus on this thought of preparing him room in our family. Okay, and so that's kind of I think the application goes way beyond that. But I, I think as we think about just preparing room in our our schedule and in our family, the one word that comes to my mind this this week as I was thinking about this is this idea of interruptions. So I asked the question on Facebook, I just made the statement, interruptions are dot, dot, dot. So you can just kind of read through these. Uh, the first person said, they're expected. That is true. Uh, one of my professors in college that someone put on here was, interruptions are your ministry, and, and that turned out to be pretty true. Sometimes interruptions are just excuses, right? Uh, one comedian said, it's, uh, God always, always, almost always interrupts us. But God is also always in our plans, right? And uh, someone very more spiritual than me said, Rebecca said, they're welcomed. I didn't agree so much with that. I don't really welcome interruptions. Do you guys welcome interruptions? Uh, but in her explanation of it, 
it was like they're welcomed when we realize that sometimes interruptions are from God, and then they should be welcomed. Um, not always. Jeannie says they're opportunities to see God work if we'll, if we'll trust him. Stephen Hay says they're not good at 4.30 a.m., and I would say amen to that, all right? But it's an opportunity for us to lead or heed God's direction, as Soya so eloquently put. Soya, very good. Um, Becca Neville, who's, uh, you know, has three boys in her life, says that interruptions are a huge part of her life, and so I would completely agree with that. But let's think, I'll be honest with your, you know, I guess transparent. When I first put this thought, interruptions out there, interruptions are my, I don't know about you, but my first thought about interruptions is that they're negative. How many of you would, that was kind of your first thought, negative, and raise your hand because I feel like I need some people on my side, okay? But then when I read through all the comments here, over and over, what seemed to be a theme in this is that interruptions are actually opportunities. But it takes a perspective change, doesn't it? That interruptions are opportunities. They're opportunities for God to be involved in what we're doing. They're opportunities for us to be involved in what God is doing, more importantly. And so when I think about this week, we're going to talk and kind of go through some interruptions in the Christmas story. I don't often think of the Christmas story as interruptions, but the reality is the Christmas story is filled with God interrupting people's lives. And think of the opportunity they got to be a part of what God is doing, although they had, they had to be willing and they had to be available for God to interrupt their life. And, and so I want us to wrestle with this question this morning. I want you to wrestle with the question this morning. Are you willing and are you available for God to interrupt your life, your family, your schedule? Now, I, uh, this morning, during the first worship service, I had this thought. In my life, I have, um, I've, I've played a lot of different roles. I've worn a lot of different hats. Okay? So from, I was a student pastor for many years. I think all the years of being a student pastor and, and now being a pastor is kind of that, you know, drove me to write the book entitled Fight for Your Family. And the reason I wrote that book is it's like it's 20 years of maybe angst in my life of seeing how our culture uh, trains us as parents to lead our home. And if we're going to be really um, honest with ourselves as a culture, the preferred ideal of what a family should look like or what their schedule should look like, what the culture tells us we should be or what their idea of success or how to lead a family, if we're going to be really honest with ourselves this morning and we were to compare the preferred ideal of what the family looks like from a culture perspective and and then contrast that with what the Bible says is a successful preferred ideal of a family, they're not the same pictures. And so when I think about our families, and I think about, again, my life, I, I've uh, worn a lot of different hats. I have been a student pastor. I've been a pastor. I've been a dad. I still am a dad. I've been a, a, um, I've been a husband. Still am a husband as of far as this morning as I know. And I've been a basketball coach from peewee to high school. I've been a football coach from peewee, then also into high school. And as I think about, again, this was 
I'm kind of letting you in on some random thoughts of my brain this morning as we were worshiping. Now, I have had an opportunity to at least say them out loud once. They weren't completely terrible, so I'm going to say them again, okay? And as I'm thinking about this morning, this idea of this, this picture that the world gives us of what a family should look like and how we should live our life and what our schedule should be and what it means to be a success for our kids and our family and our home, and I compare to that what Scripture says, it, it, it makes me frustrated. I think about as a role as a parent. There are many times in my life as a parent when my kids were younger or they were teenagers or maybe even today when I see something that if they would just change this one thing, it would change their perspective or it would change the outcome. I think about when my kids were learning to ride a bike and and I would grab the seat, and I would run alongside them, and, and there's this, you, how many of you have been a part of that experience on one side or the other, right? And, and there's this opportunity for you to let go of the bike, and if they would just let the momentum keep going, and they would just trust it, they would ride off. But inevitably, when you let go of the bike, what, when they were learning to ride, what would they do? They would almost always bail. And it's that frustration, oh, if you would just do what I asked you to do, you'll get to write off. Or I think about uh, when I was coaching sports, and I think about basketball, and basketball has a lot to do with timing and spacing. And if, if they would space out correctly, if they would run the play at the, the, the desired pace that I've set for them, that when that person goes and sets the pick at the right exact moment, when the guy curls around the screen, he's going to be wide open for a three-point shot. And I promise if you'll do the play like I've drawn it up, drawn it up, drawn it up, it will work. I've drawn it up on the whiteboard every time it works. And the moment when they finally get the spacing right, the timing right, he curls around the screen. It's in the game, and it's, it's actually the last second of the game. And he gets the ball, he shoots it, and he makes it. It's that moment as a coach of like, wow. They did it, and it worked. But the truth is, most of the time as a coach, and you draw up the play, they don't space right. They don't do the timing right. He comes around the screen, and the guy throws the ball out of bounds. That's what normally happens. But oh, in those moments, when a plan comes together, the moment when they finally trusted you, and they rode off. So as a leader and as a pastor, I have that same tension and that same frustration when I see parents and I see families and I see that there's, there's a way for us to live our life that's pleasing and honoring to God. And oh, if we would just do it like he asked us to do it. It's like hitting that game winner. And the people that we're going to look at in our story today, they're not perfect people, but what these people had in their life was they had a willingness God, whatever you want. They had an availability in their schedule to say, God, it's your plans, not my plans. So Luke chapter 1, verse number 5. Luke chapter 1, verse number 5. And again, this is like the beginning of the Christmas story. 
Verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a, city, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Amaja. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking the commandments and ordinances of the Lord blameless. If, if we could just paraphrase this verse, I, I think, again, in the cont- context of what we're talking about this morning, what we could say about them, I think what we could infer on this is that they were willing and they were available. They were willing for God to interrupt their schedule. They were available for their, God to interrupt their family schedule. They were blameless before God. Verse 7, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and they were both old, all right? Mine says well advanced in years, but it's just saying that they're old people, okay? The, the older I get, the more relative that term becomes, but we'll move on. So it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in order of the division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell. His lot fell to burn incense when he went to the temple of the Lord. And so from my understanding of what happens here is that, um, he, you know, he got the, the, they drew straws, basically. They rolled the dice, the lots fell, and it was his opportunity. It was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zacharias to go and, and, and offer the offering, to burn the incense. Look at verse number 10. And the whole multitude of the people was praying outside the hour of incense. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. The angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias. Your prayer is heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son. You shall call his name John. And you will have a joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall uh, drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit of power and Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, so here we have Zacharias and Elizabeth. They are doing what God has called them to do. It seems like they're living a life open-handed with God. God, our schedule is available. Our family is available. Whatever you want from us, God, we're willing to do it. God interrupts the schedule with people who are old to have a child. Now, I would think at some point, even though there's this great answer to prayer that they're well advanced in years and they have a child, that at some point when that child was 18 months old and not sleeping at night and keeping them up, that there was a moment where they wished their prayers had not been answered. Listen, when we are willing and available to God, for God to use us, sometimes it's not going to be convenient. Sometimes it's going to be difficult. Now, let's, let's advance six months in the story, all right? That means go to verse 26, all right? Six months later. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. He was of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at a saying. She considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Mary, for you 
have found favor with God. Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall call his name Jesus. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will, uh, will, will give him the throne of the father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. Verse 37, For with God nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. So talk about a life interruption, right? This is not at all on Mary's plan. This is not in her schedule. She has, from a young age, this Jewish girl has now been betrothed or engaged or legally married to Joseph, and she's in this time of waiting. She's waiting as Joseph is probably back at his father's house preparing a room for his bride, and at some moment he's going to come get her. There's going to be the ceremony, and she's in this season of waiting. And everything in her life is, is going just as it's supposed to go, just as her parents had planned it, just as Joseph's parents had planned it. And here enters this interruption. God interrupts the story. And she answers by saying, the last verse here, let it be to me according to your word. In other words, God, whatever your will is, I'm willing, I'm available, bring on the interruption. Well, let's keep reading. Uh, there in verse uh, 39, Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. Uh, she was in a hurry. And where do you suppose that Mary is going? She's going to a city of Judah, and she entered the house of Zacharias, and she greeted Elizabeth. Remember what the angel had told her? Your relative Elizabeth, who was barren, she also is six months pregnant. And, and Mary understands these two stories are connected some way, somehow. That God has done a miracle in Elizabeth's life. I've been told that God is going to do a miracle in my life. And I believe that Mary immediately, with haste, goes to her relative's house to figure out, or maybe to get confirmation, what is God doing? Verse number uh, 41. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me? Elizabeth has a question. That the mother of my Lord should come to me. What a powerful statement for Mary to hear. The angel had told her, Excuse me, your life is going to be interrupted in a great way. And you're going to give birth to the Lord. My guess is Mary didn't tell anybody. And Mary went to see Elizabeth. And Elizabeth immediately, without even having a conversation, without Mary telling her the details, Elizabeth says, Blessed, and who am I? That the mother of the Lord would come to me. What an amazing confirmation for Mary to hear that even though God has completely interrupted her life, in this one sentence, 
he confirms what he has said. Look at verse 44. For indeed, as soon, this is Elizabeth talking still, for indeed, as soon as the mother, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Here's a great verse as a reminder for us as followers of Christ that as we follow this timeline, John is six months from being conceived, six months in the womb, and this unborn child worships Jesus. What a reminder for us that life in the womb is to be protected. And that if we don't stand for the life of the unborn child, the most innocent life, it says right here, plain in Scripture, this unborn child worshiped Jesus. What a great thought. And Mary, uh, excuse me, Elizabeth kind of confirms this conversation. Look at the last thing that Elizabeth says, at least the last thing recorded here. Blessed, in verse number 45, blessed is she who believed. For there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. Think of this as this older lady, follower of Christ, now has seen a miracle in her own life, tells to her younger Mary, blessed is she who believes. Who's, who's Elizabeth talking about? She's talking about Mary. She's, she's speaking into Mary. Mary, blessed are you that you believe the words of the Lord. Because God is going to do what he said he's going to do. God has completely interrupted your life. But oh, interruptions from God can be great opportunities for God to do something in our life. Now, I want us to think for a moment. You know, I grew up in church my entire life. And I remember in like second or third grade, I went to Christian school. And I memorized uh, the entire Christmas story, Luke chapter 2. I used to be able to quote it. I probably, if I wanted to, could spend a little time and, and learn it again. But interesting enough, I, I think as a child and then growing up in church and being a Christian my entire life, knowing the Christmas story, that I never really, I always just thought, well, how cool was it for Mary and Joseph? They got to have Jesus, you know. That would have been cool as a parents to see Jesus. I wish my son would act like Jesus more, you know, that kind of stuff. And then I think about what did this mean in their life? Like we celebrate the nativity story and it's so pretty to look at and to think of, wow, how awesome that Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, but we don't pause for a moment to see what a major interruption in this young Jewish girl's life. Here this girl has went hoping to get confirmation from her relative Elizabeth and guess what conversation she's going to have to have now? Because she was legally bound to Joseph, but they were not supposed to be together. She has made vows to stay pure. And now she's going to have to have a conversation with her parents, who in this culture, in this context, are going to have such shame and scorn because of what appears to have happened. Think about how that conversation is going to go. Mom, Dad... Not only that, she's now going to have to go to Joseph. And what is she going to tell Joseph? Joseph, I promise I've kept our vows. A few, about 12 years ago, I watched the movie. I would encourage you to get the movie 
Uh, you, can, you can find it on Amazon and buy it, but it's called The Nativity Story if you haven't seen it. And I think it was that first time when I watched that, that film about 12 years ago that it, it kind of hit me, it kind of shook me out of my normal Christian thinking of how everything was great, everything was perfect, and how blessed she was and highly favored that she got to carry Jesus. And yet, in, in that movie, there's one line, and she has a conversation with her parents. Joseph is in the room behind, and she says, Dad, I promise, I kept my vow. What, a, what an amazing, difficult, for lack of a better word, inconvenience when God interrupted her life. And so she tells Joseph. And I wonder what that conversation was like. I wonder if Joseph believed the story of the angel. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1 what we can understand today is that when God interrupts our life, yes, it is a great opportunity. But many times it's also a great inconvenience. And that's why we wrestle with the question, God, am I willing? Am I available? Verse 18, Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. Verse 20. But while he thought about these things, let's pause for a moment. Let's think about what Joseph's thinking about. Apparently, Mary has told him. His parents know. Her parents know. This is not, for, for the parents, this was not how it was supposed to go. They had it all planned out. They had arranged this marriage to this just Jewish man, as the scripture says. Mary has been faithful to her vows, and now we got to tell everyone that Mary's pregnant? It wasn't how they planned life to go. God's interruptions, although they are great opportunities, many times are at great inconvenience. So Joseph is thinking, what am I going to do? Joseph has three options. He can choose to marry Mary and go as in nothing ever happened, and he is going to receive the scorn of the people. Because either the assumption now is both of them have been unfaithful, both of them have not kept their vows, both of them didn't wait, or or just Mary didn't. But when he marries her, he's going to assume that guilt. The parents are also going to assume the guilt. The second option is he has is he can divorce her privately. In other words, it was, they, they were legally bound together and married. They could divorce because she hasn't been faithful, and they could just kind of go on with life. Or the third option is that he could divorce her, what then we would term publicly. He would bring her into the city, confess her sin for her to everyone. Mary has been unfaithful. I'm divorcing, divorcing her. This is why. And if that's not bad enough, legally what they could now do is stone her in front of everyone and kill her. 
Let's read verse 20 again. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bring forth a son. You shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. He did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. What an awesome story. And Joseph decides, I believe Mary, and I believe the Lord, and although this is going to be a major interruption in our plans, I'm going to be obedient. For, for us, as followers of Jesus in our culture, what the world what the preferred ideal family is supposed to look like doesn't really line up with what Scripture says the preferred ideal of what a family looks like. And if I'm going to make a decision to be available and willing for God to interrupt my family, it's going to be potentially an inconvenience. My family and my family's schedule may look different than everyone else's. A few weeks ago, we had uh, all the missionaries from our church stand up here on the stage. And I could tell you every one of their stories. And every one of them that stood on this stage, you know what? They've made some major sacrifices in their life, in their plans, because God interrupted them. And it may be inconvenient. But what I'm, I'm challenging you with this morning is very simple. It's the same question we started with. Are you willing and available for God to interrupt your plans or your family? If so, I just have two points of application this morning. They're very simple. The first is this. It's going to be so profound. Make yourself willing. Make a decision. God, I'm willing for you to interrupt my life. God, I'm willing to do whatever you ask. When, when Mary's life was interrupted, what did she say? Let it be unto me as you've said. In other words, God, your will be done. When the angel came to Joseph, what did he say in, in Matthew 1, 24? He said he got up from his sleep and he did exactly what the angel said. He married her and he called his name Jesus. Decision today. God, I'm willing for you to interrupt my schedule, to interrupt my family. I'm willing to be inconvenienced. The second application here, make your family available. I'm going to be willing. I'm going to be available. Last week when we looked at Martha and Mary, and remember the word, distracted, Martha was too busy, and what God wanted her to do is just sit at the feet of Jesus like Mary was. In our culture today, we are way too busy. Our kids are way too busy. Our families are way too busy. Our schedules are way too busy. 
And, and maybe Jesus just wants us to slow down. We'll be better ambassadors and better neighbors if we become better worshipers. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You see, in order for me to be willing and available, God has to be first in my life. I have to seek him first. I have to be willing to say, God, my family and our schedule may look a little different than everyone else's, but I'm okay with that. Mary, Joseph, and both of their parents had a major, major interruption in their life. But oh, the blessings they received by being willing and being available. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes for a moment this morning. And I want you to make this decision for yourself. The question, am I willing, am I available? The decision, God, I choose to be willing. Interrupt, me, interrupt my life, God. I'm available. Whatever you want, I'll serve you.